Oh, okay. Hold on one sec. All right, we'll redo this in a second. Okay. <laughs> I've never been on the X pod. How cute. I'm so glad that you have this in here. I have been trying to get her to submit her art to Exponent for several years. This is one of my niece's friends, and I have this hanging in my office. Oh, really? Wow, yeah, we, we've been trying to publish that. Like, we've in our art meetings, we've been trying to publish that piece for, like, a year. And we just keep looking for the right opportunity. We found it. And so thanks for saying that, Heather. Did she yeah. submit it to you, or did you track her down? We tracked her down. But but Paige had already flagged, like, this is a great image. Okay, and I there was another piece. Yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. Just trying to find the right one. Okay, so sorry. Ramona's going to join in. She's asking for the passcode. So let's oh, wait a minute, and then we can restart again. So great. ordered that piece from her my favorite part was she was like with or without glitter (laughs) and I'm like how is that a question of course with glitter (laughs) sparkle is is, color that's the slogan for tonight I love it well that was one of the launch parties so it looks like Ramona is almost in um at one of the launch parties someone like showed the like live picture like with the video like held up her art and it was just like very textured and had like cool like beads in the paint we're like whoa yeah so cool ramona welcome i was just doing an intro like ramona's in a hurricane she can't come so i'm excited (laughs) to redo the intro that you're here yes i should have come wearing a raincoat and Uh a hat but nothing so that would be a waste of outfit yeah we're glad you're safe glad you're glad you're here that is the most important. Okay, so I'm going to redo the intro. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> um, welcome to the X1 at 2 podcast, XPod 2. Um, the big thing about this podcast is we're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're not trying to be the authorities. We don't have an ego. We're not the authorities on feminism. We are happy tonight to welcome a special two special guests, um, but we'll all introduce ourselves. My name is Carol Ann. I'm uh, calling in from Minneapolis. I'm here with I'm Heather Sundahl, and I'm calling from Provo and Momo. And I'm Laurel Ulrich, and I'm in Pennsylvania. And I'm Ramona, and I'm currently in the middle of a tropical storm. Oh. <laughs> you say. And I, I'm Rachel. I'm based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I'm the editor of the magazine. It's so fun to be here for my first podcast. Welcome, welcome. So we're excited to be able to chat um, with the five of us tonight. So this is our, our biggest podcast group yet. So we'll see how the conversation goes. Um, but I guess we should start with the magazine. The spring 2023 is making it to people who have a physical copy or has a physical subscription. It's making it to people's homes. Um, yeah. Any, any favorites so far? Yeah. What are people's Beautiful. first impressions? The artwork, as always, is just stunning. Thank you, art team. Thank you, Rosie, the layout team. Really, really good people. Yes, I. Uh, it's always a thrill 
to get um, that hard copy, particularly because of the art. And I thought um, this one wow, was just delicious. Mm. <laughs> I just love the colors and the texture. Um, really, really beautiful. And of course, it makes me think of those long, long, long ago days in the 1970s when Exponent 2 was a newspaper literally pasted up by women's hands. I mean, wow. sticky letters. You guys have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what like. sticky letters sticky is. Sticky letters yeah. and had to keep them straight. Uh, for headlines and then you know the text was typed but it had to be typed perfectly and with the right mm. font and then oh. cut and pasted on the paste up sheets and then the art pasted on hand and we had lovely art then but it was all yes. line drawings of various kinds right <laughs> very right. simple Wait, no so color <laughs> no color. So going from the like the bigger papers, then like who printed it? Like, did, was there like a printer in town or what? What was the process? From there? Um, I didn't have any direct contact with the printer because okay. I lived in New Hampshire. Right. OK. Yes, there was a printer and um, lots of grief and changing <laughs> printers was never fun. But, Rachel can uh, talk about that. Exactly. That's, that's my week um, right now. and and we learned how to do this um going back 10 years before a lot of the women who were involved in creating exponent had published a a guidebook to boston which uh, we had done as part of the cambridge first ward and that also was literally hand pasted up yeah, then taken yeah. to a printer and bound and looked like a, a book, a real book. Um, but it was the days of electric typewriters, and, mm-hmm. you know, having to hand correct um, any errors. Um, way different technology. Oh. Absolutely. And I thought about that too, where you're like, oh, I was up in New Hampshire, where it's Rachel and I don't aren't even in the same time zone. Like, so when we plan, like, with the art team, too, so it's, like, multiple time zones, like, we're all, like, able to create the magazine from living everywhere and making, yeah. making yeah. it work. So that's... And that's, you know, I think the original um, exponents, the early exponents, there was a core group that yeah. could go to each other's houses. There were babies running around and mm-hmm. while all this work was going on. Although the writers came from all over. Right. Um, but now it's amazing that we can have this kind of a conversation so easily. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And despite the the challenges of the medium, I, I think I read something. So I'm I'm seeing some early chapters of the book that Heather Sundahl and Katie Ludlow Rich are writing about the 50th anniversary of Exponent. And I think in one of those drafts, I read that the Beginners Boston sold like ten thousand copies. Is that right? Twenty three thousand. 
23,000 copies. That is astonishing. (laughs) I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that, that goes past uh, today's publishing. I mean, there was a need for sort of lightweight, accessible, fun introductions to people who'd never lived in Boston. Right. You know, students coming and so we we uh, hit the jackpot with that. All the money went to the church. It was, uh, I mean, it. I think it originally went to the church welfare fund, mm. but the Relief Society controlled it. That's right, what we right. about it, because the Relief Society did the project. And wasn't that the impetus for it was like, we need to do a fundraiser. Let's write a book. Yeah, there was no um, centralized funding. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so each organization controlled its own budget and did its own fundraising. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things that, that I heard, um, I can't remember who said it, but they observed that a lot of the people who came back to Boston um, sort of in those very, very earliest times when there started to be like, a a chunk of Mormons there is that people were sometimes kind of insular and there was this sense of like, we've come from Salt Lake and we need to kind of recreate a little bit of what the church was like there. But then Laurel with you and with that creation of that beginner's Boston, it really turned the hearts of the saints to Mm -hmm. their environment. And people really started to, instead of thinking of themselves as we need to kind of recreate Zion here was like, okay, we kind of have a Zion and let's go explore, you know, the Zion of Louisa May Alcott's house and the freedom trail. And, you know, well, Paul I, think, I, I actually think um, people did that if they were there more than two years. Okay. okay. Yeah. So people loved Boston, but, but this was, you know, originally, I think the suggestion was, let's not make people wait two years to get excited about where they are. So yeah. your description is very good. But the point is, this was directed to the larger community. This wasn't for church people. They didn't buy the 23,000 books. It was in bookstores and um and was advertised and passed hand of mouth so it reached uh, a much larger larger audience I think every once in a while it probably shows up on eBay or someplace now it's kind kind of a little relic of the past I love it I, I got to see a physical copy when I went to Midwest Pilgrims a couple months ago. They had like a oh. display table with some of the different like artifacts. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh, fun. I'm very <laughs> jealous. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. Thank you. Um, we know that you went to the Mormon History Association. Um, that was just a few weeks ago. Have you recovered? And what were some of your favorite um, things that you did you present? What were some of your favorite um presentations love to hear your thoughts uh <laughs> i've recovered yeah good, good. A week. okay yeah <laughs> i had a lot of other things uh, to deal with when i got home um mm-hmm. it was it was fun um 
it's always great to see friends and to make new friends and to you know meet people you've only seen in print somewhere right um for me one of the most interesting things was just getting a close-up view of rochester new york mm. i i've been there not too long ago but i was at uh the University of Rochester, which is in a very, very different neighborhood. But this conference was right downtown. Mm. Um, and um, it, it was a, a very interesting inner city that had a lot of characteristics that inner cities do. And thinking about the history of Rochester as a center of the anti-slavery movement and then being surrounded by descendants of people who were there at the time. So we met um, a um, woman who was a descendant of Frederick Douglass and wow. Booker T. Washington. Wow. Can imagine. That's a pedigree. Like a great great grandmother or something um, one generation these two families coming together and she was wonderful giving us a tour of the frederick douglas institute and talking about the institute's not only interested in the past of rochester and the anti-slavery movement, but being very invested now in trafficking, a, oh, a kind of modern kind of slavery. So yeah. it was it was wonderful to get acquainted with that um, city a bit. I love that the historians like took advantage of being in a historical place, not like there's a conference center and we won't leave yeah. the conference center. So no, <laughs> you no. did a good job with that. It was great to be out and about. Good. So Nancy Ross said that some people love talking Joseph Smith. This is kind of kind of a joke. Nancy was teasing that some <laughs> people like want to know what Joseph Smith ate for breakfast. Are you one of those people or no? Do you love learning about Joseph Smith or do you like learning about other other aspects of Mormon history? Where do you go? I don't know what Joseph Smith ate for breakfast. He did like to have company. <laughs> no, so I was, so Nancy was teasing that some people want to know the deep, deep details of Joseph Smith. And she's like, I don't care. I want to hear about other stuff. Yeah. So I was wondering which team are you on? Are you team? I want to know every detail about Joseph Smith's life. Or are you team? Let's talk about something else. Oh, well, I'm very much talk about everything else. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to talk about Joseph Smith if you want to. <laughs> but um, I'm, uh, it's an interesting question that you're asking. And sorry, I didn't instantly recognize <laughs> what you were doing. It's the end of the day, ladies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're um, perfectly fine. But I know it's a convert like. Let me just say this. Um, I've been uh, a, a supporter and an observer of the project of the Church History Library that was called the Joseph Smith Papers Project, which is an extremely complicated, very 
high-end uh, archival driven work to document and find every last paper and document associated with Joseph Smith and his period in the church. And I'm sure that's where your question's coming from. But, but the big question right now is that project is now complete. Oh. Although one of the historians said, oh, just found a new document in a courthouse near Rochester. Oh. So no project is ever totally complete, but they have completed their mission as designed. And so the big question now that they're asking, and there'll be a conference in September, unfortunately, the same weekend as Exponent, um, where they're asking scholars from inside the church and from outside the church um, to come and participate in discussions about where do we go now? Okay. I mean, so the question is the so what? Yeah. They've done all this archival work, clarified a lot of issues, but where should we go now? Obviously, it's just absolutely the beginning right. of where a serious church history can go. And and I, of course, I have one answer always to these questions. Uh, where were the women? Right, um, right. And there's an incredible amount of work to be done, perhaps especially going forward into the 20th century and beyond. Uh, among those of us sitting right here, it's phenomenal that Exponent's doing its own history. Mm. Think about that. <laughs> I'm going to need to get a drink of water. Excuse okay. me. And then Ramona, you were you were saying like as a convert, do you have a thought that you wanted to share about Joseph Smith or where, what was that thought? Yeah, I, I feel like as a convert, um, being Methodist before, um, I struggle sometimes. I'm like, why do we need to know what Joseph Smith ate? Yeah. Like he yeah. ate food. That's fine. Like get a grip, get a hobby. No right. offense to anybody that wants yeah. to do the deep dives, but I'm like, get a hobby you know there are other things in life to think about it does not matter what he ate for breakfast yeah yeah and so and nancy was saying it as a joke too which i appreciate because i was just like oh and i think it almost turns into like which that's what i kind of asked like which team are you on is like to find out what and i kind of knew my answer i don't think we'd have a team i care what joseph ate for breakfast guest on this podcast sorry <laughs> maybe we should maybe i don't know maybe they don't want to hear us man <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, thanks for bringing that up, Ramona, though. So Ramona shared, well, like, as a convert, um, she doesn't care as much about Joseph Smith. I recently reread Lusterware in Mormon Feminism, so an essay you wrote back in the 80s, Laurel, so a while ago, um, where you talk kind of about, like, how you're able to stay with with the church. Um, and you have a line of, like, I don't care much about the who's in charge and things like that. And it's like, we're kind of like, who are the members and how are we building each other up and being brothers and yes. sisters to each other? Do you yes. think that still still holds or where do you, no, that was 40 oh. years ago to be like, do you still feel this exact same way? I doubt, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, um, 
Sadly, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, of course, a lot of things have changed. Um, some things have gotten worse, um, right. sadly, I think. Yeah. Um, a few things have gotten better. Uh, one of the things that's hard at my age um, and having gone through at least two, maybe three different cycles of progress and retrenchment mm. over the over that long, long period of time. I mean, guys, we're we're talking uh, sixty years. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Of being so um, it's a very weird feeling to be. Um, able to have a personal memory of, of I don't have a detailed memory of a lot of things but mm -hmm. I have unfortunately um, a lot of um, papers stuffed in my house and every once in a while I stumble across something and I'm, I'm sort of astounded um, mm -hmm. at um, something that happened that long ago um, whenever I teach a Sunday school or primary class, I like to tell the kids that when I was growing up, women couldn't pray in sacrament meeting. And yeah, that blows you know, people's mind. Yeah, well, I, I, that was weird. You know, I never noticed that. <laughs> there were a lot of other issues. Yeah. And, I, and I think it was a fairly short period when that bizarre rule um, was in place. That would be something interesting to explore. Um, yeah, I actually um, went through, I, I actually think I was, um, well, let, let me back up. Um, one of the very interesting presentations at the recent MHA meeting was Sarah Patterson, who is about to publish a book on <clears throat> the so-called September 6th, oh, uh, a group of Latter-day Saints who were excommunicated in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she, she made such an interesting point in that talk that as she talked, to some of the individuals involved, particularly um, several of the women, um, they they were stunned at being um, disciplined, being turned out of the church that in their life experience had done so much to nurture their independence their ability right. to question, their ability to grow and to um, engage in serious thought and um, felt like they had grown up in a really special period in the church where your talents were nurtured and, and there wasn't a sense of boundaries thou shall not cross <laughs> over in this or that direction. And that really resonated with me because yeah. I think so much of my very strong commitment to the church 
is that I was nurtured by the church. Um, the assumption was it, everybody had a calling. Everybody had a calling. There were a thousand church jobs, a thousand church meetings to go to, you know, always raising funds, always building a building, always working on a church welfare farm. I mean, it was a very, very comprehensive, and I complained a lot. I remember very well, I complained a lot. I look back on it now. And I see um, the positive side of that kind of investment is when you're asked to do something in any organization, you become invested. Absolutely. And I really am worried, seriously worried about the lack of investment that anyone asks from members yeah. uh, today. Well, it, we're, we're very much um, a long distance, you know, we get our lessons from Salt Lake and, mm-hmm. and people repeat the same conference talks in yeah. lessons and in sacrament meeting and very few, I mean, there aren't callings, especially for women anymore, which mm. maybe is, um, positive for people who are extremely busy but it also means it's much less of a an engaged community yeah laurel so this is something that my sister who's um who's also in her 50s as am i um that that she has observed she feels like with the young the younger generation in the church that because they didn't have to sacrifice as much they're not as committed and and we were not as busy as you were, but my sister and I, I mean, we were in road shows and dance festivals. And I mean, the church sucked up so much of our lives. And I really oh. do think that that has, has created, nurtured my commitment. It's like, man, I have invested blood, sweat, and tears. Yes, yes. I, I absolutely uh, see that point. And I, you know, I didn't, think about it so much as sacrifice I, I I did complain particularly about the welfare farm and, and lots of other things particularly living outside of Utah where you drove an hour to every meeting and there were not a lot of meetings uh, meetings to plan meetings and and so on so it was overdone at some level but it was also a place where you have an opportunity to create, mm-hmm. create something yeah. uh, independent. I mean, doing a road show. Yeah. I mean, it taps into talents. We didn't Absolutely. just do road shows. We did three act plays, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just a different version. In, and we combed the neighborhood and brought non-members in to work with us. Now, I primarily lived um, pretty much entirely from the time I was 22, lived outside the Mormon Center. Um, and so it, it was, um, 
Yeah, it, it was a combination of having a circle of friends and a spiritual community that made living far from home um, not just tolerable, but really quite engaging and quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and it was also the danger of um, being caught in a pod, <laughs> you know, and not reaching out enough um, to the larger community around us. So some strengths and some weaknesses of, of that. Yeah, yeah. I like the point that you made, Heather, about um, not being as engaged. Um, just coming from a small branch here in Barbados, um, we see that you have the older generations that came in. They had those activities that you guys were talking about. Mm-hmm. And they had those opportunities to actively pursue and engage in gospel stuff. Mm-hmm. And as the generations have passed, we've seen that because leadership has changed, egos have gotten bigger, women's roles have gotten smaller. Um, we have seen that the kids aren't committed, and usually it's a fight to keep them in the church after they turn 18. We don't have stakes, we don't have stake dances, we don't have any of those things. So it becomes a fight to really have people engaged in church and think that church is fun we don't right now at age delta ysa like a couple of months ago and now we don't have an active ysa because the engagement isn't there the commitment isn't there and that might be from leadership or it might be just because people just don't find church fun anymore yeah and it's really sad to see mm-hmm. yeah. yes i i see what you're describing well and something I wrestle with as at this point as you know as a mom on the one hand I regret that my children aren't more involved that they didn't have some of those same foundational experiences that I did but I also I like that people now feel like they can say no like it's a, I never felt like I could like if they told me you've got to be in the road show I have to be in the road show yeah yeah, yeah. like there's just my parents are just like well you can't go out on Friday night if you don't go to commit to go to the steak dance on Saturday night I mean and that, that's sort of how we navigate things and yeah. and and there's so part of me is like oh I hate that they can say no but another part of me is like oh my gosh bless them they can say no yeah there's got to be a balance balance between obligation and what works for you you know I don't know no you're right Heather um my favorite word in the last year has been no I love telling leadership no I love telling you that I do not have time um and like you said like a lot of the times we feel obligated to do things not because we really want to do them but we're like somebody is telling us oh well you need to do this so you can get this and I'm like no that doesn't work for me but as a parent there have been times where I have made my kids go to scout camp young women's camp whatever track and they have later on been like oh my gosh thank like they don't exactly say thank you but I know they're glad they went like that was a really good experience and so it's sort of tricky navigating when do you sort of push and insist and when do you back off and let 
kids make their own choices with anyhow. Yeah. And I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in another space too, where I, um, I'm in a women's presidency and I recently said, I can't do Wednesday night activities. Like I have two small children, like, so like, bye husband, gotta go. Like just is really disruptive. So I'm like, I can do Sundays. I can help in other ways. I'm going to help at girls camp, but I just like the weekly Wednesday night. And so I've been incredibly grateful for all of my women's leaders who sacrificed so much and thinking about seminary, just so many aspects of like, um, sacrifice, but I also am wondering like with, like, I also am a working mom with two small children under the age of four. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like, I'm in a different space than like, I have lots of time. So I like want to leave my kids to have a night out when mm-hmm. like, cause I've been around them all day. Like, no, like I've been working all day. Like I do want to spend time with my children. So like, I, I'm in a different space than I think yeah. who they assume the Mormon woman is right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's important to distinguish between um, the kind of participation that was common um, in earlier generations, lots of prescribed activities mm-hmm. um, and kind of formalized activities, some of which were better run than others. Uh-huh. And the kind of engagement that's um, within within the church, what am I trying to say? Um, we're there on Sunday for two two and a half hours, right? Is that is that about right? Two hours, and then there's a little visiting before and after. Mm-hmm. Uh, in contrast to nearly every week, every day of the week, yeah. Um, in some years, um, but how engaged are we in the two and a half hours? How um, how intense are the discussions? How open ended? How free to explore? Mm. We're sort of pretty much as we're either as women either teaching in primary young women or the smaller number of us in Relief Society every other week. Yeah, yeah, and we have almost no control over anything else i mean it's Mm. it's almost going from too much to not enough and i'm really not talking about the amount of time spent but about um the amount of engagement and participation that is nourished and encouraged during that uh during that period So I will tell you what I miss about the three-hour block. I miss that middle hour Sunday school. I was not often in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. I was doing what Liz Layton Johnson refers to as hall ministry, where you are in the hall and you are, you're not gossiping. You're engaging with people. You're finding out that so-and-so is going to have to have a hysterectomy. And what are we going to do? Like, well, I can take her kids Tuesday and, you know, so-and-so like they're splitting up and we, we need to kind of rally like so much caretaking and ministering went on in that kind of liminal space. It wasn't official. It wasn't in the Bishop's office where a committee of people were sort of deciding who gets service and who doesn't. 
it was just people connecting. Yeah. yeah. I, I miss that as well. Yeah. I think that's so important. And and you have two or three units in a building and time constraints and not enough space. Um, and then uh, constantly shifting membership. Um, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that we've gone in the direction we've gone. I know. I was about to say, it's just, <laughs> any, any other final thoughts, Ramona? It looks like you're about to say something, and then I was going to do a change change the topic question. Yeah. yeah, I I probably am the person at church that is not engaged in the lesson at all. Yeah. My church is right, like, in the direction of an airport. I am the person in Relief Society looking out the window at planes. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, are you going to get, I, I find that, um, somebody mentioned it before, you know, hearing the same comments and stuff. I don't want to hear like a copy and paste answer of everything in the church and in the gospel. And I find that because of that, I would rather look out in the hour at planes. Like, does does that make me a bad person? Does that make me a bad member? No, it does not. I just I just don't hear to re- hear the same thing repeated. It was, I, uh, this is from, I think it's so definitely from Latter-day Struggles, the podcast. And I think that the topic is about spiritual abuse, but part of it that they talked about was um, these like kind of unwritten rules. And they brought up one unwritten rule of Sunday school where it's, you ask questions and you have certain answers that the ways that you answer them. And if you were to answer them in other ways, it'd be very strange. But like the unwritten rule is like, <laughs> When we ask, like, what would, like, what should we do? It's like, pray. Like, we're so used to hearing those answers that it, that there's like, it almost feels like, like too much inertia sometimes, like to be that person to say, to be like, actually, I view it differently, actually. So it's hard because like, I've, I've had to like preserve my energy sometimes where I'm just like, not worth the fight this week. Can't do it. And other times where I like rally and I'm like, I will be that person. And I, I oh, yeah, I, I am that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and Carolyn and I are both um, former teachers. I guess you're always a teacher if you, you stay um, invested in this organization um, and this religion, but um, we were both former high school teachers. And, and I really appreciate what Laura said about the timing thing, because like there is definitely like time is part of it. But also how you spend an hour, like in teaching, mm. it's like pretty well known. Like if you just sit and lecture at someone, they're going to retain like X amount. Right. And then there's this whole like Bloom's taxonomy. And it's like identify is the lowest level of like brain function of just like identify, <laughs> memorize. And then you go up to like evaluate, create, synthesize, mm. you know, you move up and like, you know, I think there's a pedagogical thing going on too. Of, like, how can we get people more engaged even with like the limited yeah. um, time that we're there? So, yeah. Good point, Rachel. Laurel, I have a question for you. Okay. So you you have a you have a reputation as a, as an outspoken, very confident, strong feminist. I mean, you know, you you're on bumper stickers, keychains, uh-huh. t-shirts with you know, well-behaved women. What are you like in Sunday school? If somebody says something that's kind of like a little nutty, does everyone turn and look at you like, okay, Laurel, take the, take the stand. Set them straight. <laughs> um, well, my word is, um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I, I will say that I'm the oldest 
maybe the second oldest member of our court <laughs> after my husband. <laughs> I mean, this is a very new role in life to sort of be the elder person. And I'm never quite sure. Um, but absolutely, I, I sh love to ask questions that shake up the discussion. And I continue to do that. I'm, I'm very grateful that at the moment we have a absolutely fabulous new gospel doctrine teacher in our ward who uh, is shaking things up in her own gentle, lovely way and getting people who are five-minute members of the church, you know, if you think of the mixture in our ward of newly baptized, we have baptisms every other week in our ward. Um, and aged lifetime member, yeah. two or three of us, and then a lot of people juggling young babies and, you know, in a totally different, it's an it's a extremely complex situation. And this young woman, I think the reason it's working so well is she allows herself to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, she's willing to admit, um, you know, this this really shook me up this week. I thought through mm. this parable and I realized I was not treating my husband very well. Huh. Or, or what else? You know, not literally um, making those kinds of comments. but. Um, showing her excitement about the reading. And one thing she did this week, which was <laughs> really helpful, she said, uh, you know, I ha I've, haven't done a lot of reading the scripture straight through. And no wonder she hasn't done a lot of it, because the lessons are always set up in little... Yeah you know, proof Four chapters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so reading the gospel and reading about the Passion Week straight through, and she said, we're going to read straight through um, in two of the gospels, the last scene of the Passover and leading up to the trial. Uh, there are this many verses <laughs> We're just going to read straight through and we're going to take turns. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to participate, you don't have to participate. But if you participate, I want you to stand up and read one or two verses or more if you want to and really project to the audience. It was very, very interesting. Yeah. We did that <laughs> straight through. And she was worried that people wouldn't do it. They absolutely got into it. And it was transformative to the lesson because we had a complex story that we were all now totally familiar with. Right. Then we'll be able to dive in and actually discuss it and share our immediate impulses well she was making two points 
number one, the lesson's more fun if you've done the reading, (laughs) which almost nobody does. Mm -hmm. But but number two, she got everybody awake and engaged and involved. And um, it was it was quite a moving lesson by the end. That's really lovely. Okay, I'm going to shift the topic. So two books are coming to mind about journaling. Rachel asked me to ask a question about journaling. I'm thinking about Terry Tempest Williams book, When Women Were Birds, where she, spoiler if you haven't read the book, she goes to her mom's house. She grabs a journal. She opens it. It's blank. She grabs another journal, opens it. It's blank. Her mother has a bookcase of journals. They are all blank. So her mother dutifully purchased journals and never wrote in them. They're just like haunting, heartbreaking. And then I'm thinking about um, another book um, written by you, Laurel, where the journal by of Martha Ballard was so, you're able to like create a history because she kind of kept a journal as she was being a midwife, a midwife tale. What are your thoughts on journaling and personal history as women? We're busy women. So we have Terry Thomas Williams' mom who didn't write anything, Martha Ballard who wrote things kind of in the notes and margins of her journal. As a historian of women's history, what would you, what should, what are your words? Um, I'm very grateful that I did keep a journal hit or miss um, on and off again uh, in my life. It, it wasn't my favorite thing to do, but I did it at a certain stage of my life. And it's really, really helpful to you know prove that I'm right and my <laughs> husband is wrong about <laughs> the sequence of certain things. Um, it's also surprising to me how little I wrote in periods that may have been the most intense and the most important. Because hmm. um, it was too much. I I couldn't I couldn't compress it. I couldn't write about it or maybe I even was physically unable because of the press pressure of time and space. Um, but you know, that Terry Tempest Williams, that's such a sad story. Um, and yet when I think of her, her book Refuge um, and how much she remembers and evokes about her mother's life, I mean, there, there's more than one way to create a record. And mm. I, I think her mother was engaged with her in, in living. Um, and that left the impress on her life that maybe, you know, maybe it was fine that she wasn't able to do that in the journal. The metaphor, though, of opening the book and it's blank is a metaphor about opening the scriptures, opening almost any history book. <laughs> um, we, we do have a lot of blank pages mm. um, in terms of women's lives every, everywhere. Um, it's the missing stories absolutely the the main thing to say is and i'm thinking of heather's point at the beginning when she tells 
younger people were women weren't allowed to give the prayer and sacrament meeting. I mean, I've been reading today uh, on a project I'm working on. <laughs> extremely annoyed because the only time this particular author mentions women is to tell us what they couldn't do. Oh. Um, uninterested in what they were doing. <laughs> Right. what they could do and that's the way that the pressure to pay attention to women has shaped a lot of narratives so mm -hmm. it comes out that you add woman every time you mention that human beings did something you say women and men did <laughs> but you're really talking about men Mm. because you haven't bothered to differentiate yeah the correctness doesn't correct sure <laughs> that you stroke the feminists in the room by pointing out how <laughs> they weren't able to do this, and this and it, it drives me crazy awesome. so um yes any kind of record any kind of record mm -hmm that we can save and preserve about the women we love. Let's do it. So I've got <laughs> a couple you. questions for you, Laurel. Um, yeah. Because I, I know that, that sometimes we think about doing things in our lives and we think it's just too late. Like that, that ship has sailed. And, and you shared some information with me once that really changed my life. So how old were you when you went back to get a PhD? Um, okay, let's see. Well, I got my BA, this is the way I can read it. Okay. I got my okay. BA in 1960, my MA in 1971, my PhD in 1980. Okay. I, I published a midwife's tale when I was 52. I, I just love this. And, yeah. and you are still doing amazing things. Laurel does not rest on uh -huh. her laurels. Uh -huh. <laughs> she does well. not rest on herself. No, you are always actively engaged and doing interesting, creative things. And for me, it really was, I do credit that letter that you sent me with, with making me feel like at, you know, 53 I could apply to grad school and go back to school and start a totally different career. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's like, well, Laurel was 52 when she published that book. Like I can, yeah. there's tons of time to do things. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it was fun at one point to realize that uh, the movers and shakers of the women's rights movement did a lot of it after they were 50. Yeah. You know, we we just visited Susan B. Anthony's house in Rochester. I mean, it's very interesting. They were very fortunate. They were healthy. They lived long, long lives, which not everybody did. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of achievement comes. My dad said to me once, the most interesting things I ever did and happened to me in my life came after I turned fifty. 
Hmm. And, and I thought that was just a wonderful thing to hang on to. I love Absolutely. that. I love that. I just, it's, I feel like you inspire people um, that there's just always lots ahead. There's always possibilities that it's not too late to, to get interested in something and to do something. Sure. Rachel and I love a poem by uh, the the JL, uh, the Proofrock poem, the love poem of JL for Proofrock. There's a line that says, there will be time. And so sometimes if we're like stressed about something, we'll text each other and be like, there will be time. Like maybe not right yeah. now, but there will be time. You're like, don't need a peach. Time, there will be time. Yes. Yeah. And what I like about that, Heather, is that while you were inspired, you passed it on to me because oh, when I was thanks. in Utah, I was ready to drop out of my degree. Oh. And I like I was like, okay, I got my associate degree, I'm done. <laughs> all of a sudden I came after that conversation that we had in your car. Um, all of a sudden it's oh yeah there's another degree and now there's another degree after that so now there is (laughs) onward onward (laughs) no absolutely that makes me happy oh and then rachel and heather and i've talked about this if we are the like this we all have a a second master's degree where we like pivoted of like nope we're switching careers why not yeah Yeah. Oh. oh Um, okay. So it's been about an hour. Any other final thoughts or feels? My children are crying a little bit, so I need to leave in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I would urge people to read Lusterware. And I Laurel, still- we might need to get you, like, re- have you recorded reading it. I think that could yes. be really fun. Do you have it nearby right now? Would you want, or should we do this uh, another night? We can I schedule another time. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Because it would be amazing to have your voice reading Lusterware. Oh, well, thank as you. As a record, an audio record, Laurel. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, is anybody uh, purchasing that scan of all Dodd's critters? With they are, actually. And are they? Oh, that's they are. Yeah. Good to know. Because I... I get asked about Lusterware a lot. I think it, for some reason it seems to be one of the most popular essays. And yeah. so I always say, oh, for $10. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Get them back to yeah, the founding <laughs> of Exxon. Like, so the listening. e-book. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we'll plug it now. You can order Lusterware today <laughs> and again tomorrow and the next day. Uh, Instantly. Not just this one essay. Yeah. It's a compilation of essays of, beautiful. of Laurel and Emma Luthane. Yeah, yep. we, we'd have this uh, East-West, East-West column. In, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just read about that. And yeah, I'm so excited about this 50th anniversary book that's coming out and so grateful, just so grateful, Laurel, for yeah, for what you've done to found Exponent, that you're, all the ways that you're still engaged, and the times that we taught Sunday schools together. Just yeah. it's been a that, it's been a riot. Great memories of that, Rachel. That, yeah, that was a good time. That was a good time. Um, and Rachel went from being sure. really intimidated to becoming friends. So thank you, Laurel, for welcoming us all in. Laurel is the smartest, least scary person. Amen. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for Uh, 
Keeping me away. <laughs> thank you so you much up. for joining joining <laughs> us tonight. Just, I love chatting with you. Thanks for being part of the conversation. Ramona, so glad you. you could join in too. As a reminder, Peace we are a 501c3. Um, you can give us all the money. It's tax deductible. We do not have a, a million dollar endowment. We do not take money from the church. So if you do want to donate to help uh, keep Exponent 2 going, please do. You can subscribe to the magazine. You can subscribe to the Get a Free Newsletter. You can subscribe to the blog. You can help write for the blog. You can help write for the magazine. We want you. We need you. Thank you. Have a great night. This is our closing spiel. So Thank fun. Yeah, so Laurel. Much, Laurel. Thank hey, you. Yeah. I do want to hear you reading. And we'll put that we'll put we'll put we'll that recording another time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All righty. Sorry, Laurel. One more thing. The uh, BYU his BYU library is like they're getting closer and closer to being done with the history project, the archiving project for X one two, which is exciting. So they that's have really like good. they have every issue now. So that's good because like when they did a, an audit at one point, they're like we're missing random ones. And then the second thing they're working on that's taken a long time is doing it so you can search through the um, archive and like link to it with the, by the author by the title by the um, type of Wonderful. article. So really excited for that to be so much That's more accessible. That's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So Wonderful. Good news there. Yeah. Oh. Are you doing okay? I feel like we didn't even get to hear how you are. Are you, registered? Uh, are you registered for the retreat? Oh yeah. Registered I am not because I agreed to do something at the Joseph Smith papers. Church. And no. I, I felt really dumb, but I, okay. I guess okay. that's it. We will allow. We'll it. miss you. Thank yeah. you for being. Better. Thank you for being a feminist at the church to help keep keep them in line. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. All right. Thank you. Have a good Love night. You thank so you, much. Laurel. Hey. Bye, Rachel. Bye, y'all. Bye, thanks Bye, for Ramona. What you heard? It's what you hearing. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. Exponent. Don't give it to you. Wait for you to get it on your own. Exponent. Don't deliver to you. Knock, knock. Open up the door. It's real. With the nonstop pop out from stainless steel. Break bread with the enemy. No matter how many cats I break bread with, I break who you send me. Exponent 2. Give it to you. He gon' give it to you. Exponent 2. Give it to you. He gon' give it to you. First we gonna fuck. Then we gonna fall. Then we let it pop. Don't let it go. Exponent 2. Don't give it to you. Uh. He gon' give it to you. Exponent 2. Don't give it to you. He gon' give it to you. Exponent 2. Don't give it to you. He gon' give it to you.